All right, we're going to continue this morning in a sermon series called Being the Church. And if you've been here, you know what's up with this. But if you've not, I'll give you the quick rundown. We're studying 1 Corinthians. So uh, 1 Corinthians is Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to learn what they were learning dynamically and then apply it to our own lives as a church uh, here at Family Bible Church particularly, but also as the church globally, like as the Big C Church. And so we had an opportunity to do that um, together. Uh, we've talked for the last few weeks about uh, several things. We've only made it just into chapter 2 uh, by now, so if you've been around, you know that already. But we've been talking about what it really means to be the church. And I want to remind us this morning of um, the way the word opens, because I think it's important, and then we're going to get into it. But Paul writes this letter, and he says this, to the church of God in Corinth. Corinth is a city, a town, like, just like Highland, right? Just bigger than Highland. To those who are, here's some truth, sanctified in Christ Jesus, Second, call to be holy. And third, together with every, those, all those everywhere who, three, call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So Paul's unifying the church in this message. He's writing to a particular local uh, congregation, and he's talking about the faith uh, that are called to be holy. And so those are kind of some of the things that we mean when we say church. Uh, many times we conflate that issue with other things, but it means to be part of the work part of the body of God and the work he's doing in this world. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, your Savior, whether you know it or not, you're part of the work. You are part of the work. And that's what we ought to recognize as we continue to study this, Bible, uh, this uh, letter together. There's the word, the letter together. So as we get started this morning, our topic today is being spiritual. Looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, I've tried it because it can be, it, it's a really instructive and corrective book. And so it can kind of come off like chastise, chastise. But I've been thinking, what's the opposite side of what Paul's getting at here, right? And so uh, most of the titles you've not noticed have been about like the, the things the church is called to, like being holy, right? Or um, being unified. Um, uh, and, and Paul's going to kind of build toward these big principles in the church. And this week we're talking about this idea of being spiritual, and uh, I think it's kind of a funny thing because there's lots of talk out there, chatter about how, you know, um, people have gotten beyond religion and religion's a thing from the dark ages and all this stuff. But then there's this kind of subtext of people who say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, right? And so they believe in something. They just don't know what they believe in, or maybe they do. They don't want to talk about it. And so we have this kind of funny language with the idea of spirituality. And so I want to kind of disambiguate that this morning for those who believe in Jesus Christ what kind of spirituality we believe in. And I don't mean, by the way, the doctrine that we believe in. That's often what we think is, well, I believe the right doctrine, but the spiritual nature of our belief in Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul's going to get into this morning, and we're going to study that together and hopefully make sense of that. I wonder what it means to be spiritual, or what does it mean that God calls the church to be spiritual? What does that mean? So we're going to explore that this morning in Corinthians together. We're going to do what we always do at Family Bible Church. We're going to pray. We pray every Sunday we open the Word. We pray every Bible study we open the Word. We pray every day when we do our private devotions that God would reveal truth to us through His Word that we might become more like Him in this life. And so we're going to do that right now. So pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your presence this morning. I almost said your house, Lord, but we are your house being built up for your glory. And, and we are together as your people united to hear from you. We say it all the time at Family Bible. We have no wisdom of our own to proclaim. We, have, we are not special in any way except that you have condescended. You have come to know us and to love us. And, Father, to your glory, to never leave us or forsake us, but to continue to discipline us and train us up in the way that we should be as believers, brothers and sisters, in your 
son's name. And so, Father, this morning we pray that as we come to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our instructor, that we would not need um, man-made constructs, but rather your ordained, God-ordained models you know, implanted in our hearts and then therefore lived out in our lives. And so this work, Father, uh, only comes from you. We can't do it. And so, Lord, would you do your work amongst your people for your glory today that we might know you, but more importantly, Father, that you might be glorified as the true God, the one God, the only God of all the world, of all the universe. And so, Father, there's a big ask, but you can do it. We ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you ever feel like I do when I'm praying like that, but you know, it's such a ridiculous thing for God to ask me to understand something. That, like, that's a huge request. And so when God condescends, what a miracle it is every time. So we're going to actually turn in our Bibles to second, uh, 1 Corinthians 2. Uh, we're going to be studying 16 through, or 6 through 16 this morning, 10 verses. It's on page 794. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, there should be a Bible at the end of the chair row, hopefully around you. You can grab a Bible and look at it. If the Bibles are all taken, there are some extras. Well, they're gone, so maybe they're not right, extras today, but hope you'll read along with us as we study the Word together today. By the way, I also hope you got one of these engagement sheets because the backspace is some opportunity for you to take some notes, and that goes home with you. We don't keep that, of course, um, a way of kind of engaging more directly with what God is teaching this morning. So the first thing is we, we have at the very top of the sheet this idea of what the Spirit's doing in the church, and I kind of struggle with the idea of, of what it means, but I want you to see how we kind of break out. Last week, we talked about wisdom, and then this week, we, we're talking about um, uh, the, the Spirit of God. And then I'm just going to kind of throw this down as a base idea of what the Spirit is doing. There's a few ways we could have gone with this. Uh, the, when we talk about the Spirit, we're going to get into the text today, but it's this idea of God's very revelation to us, Him, Himself, being amongst His people, right? The very Spirit of God. And we're going to talk about why that's so important today. And so there's a couple of things that came up. And one was like this idea of maybe being Spirit-filled, like I'm going to be filled with the Spirit of God. But the thing that as I continue to study this text this week, and maybe you read it up ahead of time and you're with me on this, but you're reading it, and it's like, what's God really doing? And it seems to me that it's being spirit-led. And so that's the first point here is that we would be spirit-led, that that's the, one of the calls of the church, which is different than just being, yeah, I'm open to spirituality, open to spiritual concepts, uh, maybe somewhere out there, but the, the spirit of God is going to lead me through my life. I'm, I'm open for that kind of a, a, um, a walk. What are some of the differences between being spiritual and being spirit-led or, you know, spiritual in the church of God? And I think one big difference is this, that one of those experiences, the small s spirituality, is internally driven. I don't know if you've heard that before, but this idea, you know, the answer's in you. You were born with the answer in you. I don't think that that's true. I think maybe perhaps we have some sense that something's not right in us. That's our sin condition. But I don't know that, that the answers are found within. We live in a culture many times where that's the spirituality you pursue. Well, what feels good? What works for me? What do I agree with? And it gets us into all kinds of trouble. Specifically, like we talked about before, this idea that we set and judge God for God, God's own work. <laughs> what he actually did, we set back as if we did anything and we judge him. The Bible is full of fools who do such things, uh, and we run right in that line. So the one idea is that this is an internal spirituality, but then there's a second idea, which is this big S spirituality in the church, which is external to us. 
That means that when I'm spirit-led, I'm not led around by my own thoughts and desires, but rather this external reality that is God's Holy Spirit that is leading. And that's an influential thing, right? So our lives are different because something outside of ourselves is influencing us to change. That's how discipline works. That's how repentance of our sin works. And that's how redemption and sanctification works is God keeps pushing us, encouraging us to go back the way he's intending for us to go. It's an external experience. So I have a question then. Why would you want to be spirit-led in your life? Or why would you want to be spirit-led in the church of God? What would be the benefit? I think there are seven things, and I got to get some up from 1 Corinthians 2. I'm going to keep saying 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verses 6 through 16. So look at the word, if you, if, if you will. Here we go. Paul writing says this. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. You'll remember that one of the last things Paul said was that the cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. But then here he says, we do, however, speak a message of what? Wisdom among the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that's been hidden and, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. Because if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his what? Spirit. That's right. And if, if you look at all that whole thing I just read from verse 6 to verse 10, and we're going to get into a really tight part of the scripture here, but if you read that whole thing I just read, what you can connect is we speak a message of wisdom in verse 10 revealed to us by God's spirit. And so that's the first reality is that being spirit-led is the very source of wisdom. You may have heard the, the text before that says, um, if you ask God for wisdom, he loves to give it, right? He loves to give us wisdom. What is that? His spirit, his spirit spiritual wisdom in our lives that is where true wisdom lies and so paul kind of breaks this out here and he says we speak the church the the message that people say is foolish speak a message of wisdom among the mature now paul's going to talk we're next week that's where we're going it's about maturity in the church but not the wisdom of this age there's some exclusion not of the rulers of this age because all these things currently are coming to nothing and he says this we speak of god's secret wisdom that means it was not yet revealed wisdom Paul is still making the case for the uniqueness of the gospel, the revelation of the word, the requirement that God be involved in the process, which, by the way, is still required to this day, and we've talked about that in the last couple of weeks, that there's no way that you can stand on your own outside of God and you can figure God out. That's not how this works. But that it's God's wisdom that he reveals. It's been hidden since the beginning. And then Paul says this, that God destined or planned for our glory, that's the church, before time began. This was always his plan, was that his glory be revealed through the church. Um, none of the rulers of this age have understood it, because if they had, they would not have crucified the God of glory. And so we have uh, the, the, the uh, being spirit-led is the source of wisdom. 
Let's see, yeah. One of the problems we had, actually, is that we think we're wise in our own eyes. It's actually in chapter 1, verse 20, I believe, where Paul says, you know, where's the wise man of this age, right? Like, you think you're so smart. Where's the smart people? Every time, our, by the way, our culture bumps in, our society, our world, our globe bumps into problems we can't figure out, it's, we're, we're, we're like, we don't know how to solve this problem, right? We think we're so smart, but then we run into the same problems over and over again. That's because of our condition. We are not wise. The Spirit of God is the very source of wisdom. But if you look in there, what Paul's referring to this whole time is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced, and this is something that maybe we can make a through line, of course, in our lives, that we ought to be able to articulate and understand the gospel of Jesus over and over again. I asked some questions last week. Why would God send his son to die on a cross for you, for me, and for the rest of the world? Why is that a required thing? And what does that mean for me, that God would do that? This is the the narrative of the Bible, that God is going to provide a sacrifice that's going to please his demand for perfection. And so therefore, when Paul says this idea that the Spirit is the source of all wisdom, he's putting the gospel as wisdom. The gospel is wisdom. The things that the world calls foolish is the very wisdom of God. And this is what um, is... is, uh, See, in verse 7, no, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that's been hidden, and that God has destined for our glory before time began. This is the wisdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, he says that the wisdom of the gospel is a mystery that was hidden, but has now been made known. And, and you know, I wonder, honestly, like, as modern believers in Jesus Christ, if we were to live then, how much differently would it have felt to hear the gospel then versus now? I have a bit of a view, maybe this is totally wrong, that we have an inoculation problem with the gospel. Because we go, yeah, yeah, I get it, the cross. Yeah, yeah, I get it, Jesus. But I don't know that we do. And I can tell you how um, I figured this out. Try to articulate those things to someone. I mean, really, try to articulate it to yourself or to someone else who's a believer. I'm not saying go reason a non-believer. Just tell, try to explain the cross of Jesus Christ. Sinkly. It requires a whole bunch of humility on our part. It requires a whole bunch of not, not knowing, but knowing what the gospel proclaims. And it requires a whole bunch of us experiencing the reality of God's work through the cross. This upside-down gospel that calls us to, um, uh, to walk with Jesus, who suffered in this life, uh, to, uh, to just do ridiculous things. I've just been amazed over and over again at the, the way that Jesus models behavior that we're called to follow and how antithetical it is to the way the world functions. So the gospel is the message of wisdom to the church, a mystery made known. And then I want you to notice something in verse 8. It says, none of the rulers of this age understood it. That is the gospel. Because, and this is where it really ties in here, because if they had understood the wisdom of God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they would have understood who Jesus was, they would have never put him on the cross right? And this is a deep, complicated issue, in my opinion. Maybe you disagree. So I know it's a simple issue. But this is the nutshell, I think, is that to reject Jesus is anti-wisdom. To have a solution that God's provided for us as a people and to say, I'm good. I got, I got this on my own is antithetical and it's anti-wisdom, as Paul would say. It's the very, because why? If they had known who he was, they would have never crucified him. Now, did God, did Jesus have to be crucified? Yes, yes. 
That's how he paid for our sins. But it doesn't remove responsibility from their rejection of the very Son of God. You'll remember Jesus sitting before Pilate, right? And he's having his conversations. And Pilate's calling him on the carpet about this. And Jesus is like pushing back going, you would have no authority if my father hadn't given it to you, right? I mean, they're having these conversations about philosophy and theology and the truth. And in the end, Jesus ends up dying on a cross because they did not understand. Because Paul says in verse 8, none of the rulers had understood. Because if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, verse 9 now, as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared in advance for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. He has revealed these things to us, um, the wisdom of God by his spirit. We, this is a, a, a tag onto last week, right? This idea that we don't get to figure out God, but that he reveals himself to us at his pleasure, for his purpose, in his time. This lives out a whole bunch of practical ways in our life, in our own life. If we're struggling with our spirituality, you wait on God. You continue to seek God. You talk to God. You, do, you, you like, I always love Peter's words here where he says, Lord, where else will we go? You have the very words of eternal life, right? You have the very words of life. Like, he reveals himself. This is also, though, and I know many of you believe the gospel, where we hang our hats for other people we're concerned with around us. You know what you can do? If you're really worried about someone else coming to faith in Christ, you can trust Jesus to do the work. You can trust the Holy Spirit. You can pray for it. You can pray, God, I want them, but I know that you want them saved more than I do. I know you're working harder to save them than I am. You can proclaim these things because you believe them. Why? Because it's an exercise of faith. We can trust God's wisdom, the Holy Spirit of God doing all these things for his glory. God has revealed this to this church, those who believe by his spirit. All right, and then we're going to move now into this, uh, this next section here. Um, it's like 10p, whatever. The spirit searches. Why is the spirit such a big deal? The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. I think I'm going to read one more here. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And what is the point there? That this being spirit-led gives us access to everything. Gives us access to everything. Look at the comparison that, the, that Paul's making. He says, who knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit within that man who knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit in that man the spirit searches all things i wonder have i want you to think about that voice in your head that talks to you in this life and i know you think man what are you talking about there ain't no voices in my head but you know what i'm saying you're like driving to work and there's that voice in your head talking to you one of the great questions I've had with people over, uh, from people over the years is, how can I discern the voice in my head from the voice of God? That's a great question. Because if you conflate those two, you can get in a whole bunch of trouble, right? Paul says, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except a, man, a man's spirit within him? He's saying that there's a spirit inside of us that knows us better than anyone. Let me tell you some uh, realities about this. This is probably the reason why you don't need anyone to tell you what's wrong with you. Do you need someone to tell you what's wrong with you? Anybody raise your hand? I'll, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a go. 
no, because there's this voice that's always acute. There's this thing that's always cycling inside, like that's always thinking through our internal experiences and trying to process, understand the world. You don't need someone to come and tell you because you know there's this idea that, that um, you know yourself super well and you know what your intentions, you know you're good, you're bad, you know those things, right? And so there's this spirit that's in us. And I think that's interesting, by the way, that the word spirit is used here. But here's why it's most interesting. If we're going to pop back to why this matters, being spirit-led. In the same way. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And that's why the Spirit reveals all things. The Spirit gives us access to all things. Why should you want to be Spirit-led in your life? Because it's the very revelation of God. That, that, that internal dialogue that we have that we know, the Holy Spirit is the internal dialogue of God being given to us. We get to get invited in to the experiences that God, um, it, what, no, the internal realities of God in our lives. You see that? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Look at verse, uh, the beginning of the verse 10-ish. The Spirit searches all things. Well, what kind of searching is that? That's not this kind of searching that's like, I wonder where it's at. I wonder, that's not the kind of searching. One of my favorite words in the Bible is um, uh, zeteo, and it means to search, right? But that's not, or seek, it means to seek. But this isn't that kind of looking. This isn't that kind of looking. Um, instead, the spirit searches is, is rather used in a way of like investigating to know and to fully understand or to study something. The spirit of God is studying the internal purposes of God. The spirit of God has been with God from the beginning, just like Jesus Christ, and knows and knows the things of God intimately and therefore is revealing all things. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. And he said this, you diligently search the scriptures because you think by them you have eternal life. These are the ones that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me. He's like, you think because you're looking diligently at the scriptures, you know me. That's the same way that the Spirit is looking diligently at the things of God. Well, how does that turn into access for us then? Because God is using the Spirit to reveal it to us. Look right above in verse 10. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. So Paul hangs his hat a lot on this idea. He knows Jewish tradition. He knows the law. He knows the rules. He was a Pharisee, right? And he says, but there's the Spirit of God who knows way more than we do and gives us access to everything. Much of the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians is going to be him saying, and this is how you're behaving, but this is what the Spirit would have. This is what God would have for his church. And that's why the instruction and correction is so powerful because it's God's very intention for his church gives us access to everything. Um, Paul asks an interesting question here, though. He says, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit within him? And I wonder, is that really truly the only person that knows our thoughts? Or is there someone else that knows our thoughts? Like, you know, if you're in a really close relationship with someone, they probably don't know your thoughts, right? But there is one. There is one. It's God himself. Who knows the thoughts of a man except that man's spirit? I'll tell you who God does. Jesus said these things, right? God knows our thoughts. But we get invited into knowing the very thoughts of God by the Spirit of God. And that is why it's such a powerful reality for us, this true spirituality that we get to have. I just want to think about that for a minute. What, 
I want us to ponder in the glory, the, the wonder of the fact that God would be revealing himself to us. That he would let us inside of his story of what, what our life's really about. That he would care enough for us, he would correct us and discipline us by teaching us again and again the things that we are so slow to learn. That's what he says here in the same way. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And he's using that Spirit to reveal truth to us. Verse 12, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. And so um, the, this is the next point here is that being Spirit-led, and this is interesting, is not of man nor this world. Where do I get that from? First of all, we talked already about the, how Paul says, in the same way, in like kind, God's spirit knows him, but this is not the spirit of man. He clearly made a distinction. There's a spirit inside of us that is ours, that is, that is um, God's, uh, that are our own desires, and it's different from our mind life or our heart life. It's just like our being, and it's internal to us. But then he says, but we have not received the spirit of the world. So it's different than the spirit of the world. So the, the spirit, being spirit-led is not of, the man, of man, and not of the world, which can begin to explain to us why so much of the Spirit's work doesn't make sense in the world's economy. It doesn't make sense in the way the world does math. And we said last week we had a math problem with God. We've not received the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God. And I want to remind you again, who? Who is Paul talking about? It's in chapter 1, verse 2. The church of God. Those who are called to be holy. Those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ together with all those everywhere who call upon the, the name of our Lord and theirs. This is the people whom God is revealing himself through his spirit, and not the spirit of this world, but the spirit that is from God. Why? Why would this be the case? Let's see what we got. The spirit of God is received by the church. I'm actually going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to invert these two. Because the spirit of God shows us all we have in him the spirit of god that's what it says that we may understand what god has freely given to us that's why that we may understand what god has freely given to us that's why god would reveal his, his himself to us his spirit I said before like when you begin following jesus it's like yeah i'll follow jesus right but there's this whole lifelong part of following jesus where our life is kind of unfolded before us and we're we're corrected again and again we we continue to be have god show us the things that he has bought for us in christ's name and it's very very much part of this life this is the problem with salvation that says it's only for there and not for here right i'm going to heaven and that's why i'm saved yes you're going to heaven if you were saved by the glory by the grace of god and yet we are here for this time for a reason and God is not mistaken in either his creation of us or his spiritual birth in us. It is for this life. Why? So that he can show us all we have in Christ. It's so we may understand and see or come to know. The mean, the mean, it means literally to reveal to us that we would have eyes to see what God has done in our life. Have you ever, uh, have you ever talked to a person who can't see what God is doing in their life? Like, have you ever talked to a person and, and, and you've been having a conversation and they're just like, man, nothing's going right for me. 
everything's gone terrible. God, where's God? He's not with me and all this stuff. And you're looking at him and you're just like, do you, do you not see how blessed you are? Do you not understand? Do you not know how much care God has given to you? And by the way, this isn't to you, but it's to, it's to me, right? And by the way, a person who doesn't see how much God blessed them is often me looking in the mirror, whining to myself, right? Do you not see it? And you know what the word says? The spirit of God is given so that we can see all that we have in Christ. The spirit of God, of God is given to us that we can see the gospel again. Oh, that's right. I'm a reprobate sinner, reprobate sinner that God died to forgive that I could be free. That's the reality. So we have this gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given to his church that we could see all that we have. The word says that we may understand or come to know, have it revealed that God has freely given to us his gift. This is the Spirit's work in our life. Now, then going backwards, and the reason I did this is because it comes first in the verse, but actually it goes the other way around when it reads. I'm going to try to read this with you. Um, verse 11, this is how the, the, it read. Uh, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Nope, I messed it up. It is the, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God that we have received right and so the receiving comes after the reality of, of where the wisdom comes from and that's why we have that that we receive this gift of the holy spirit from jesus christ this isn't any kind of like a weird uh um i shouldn't say weird but like experiential thing where you have to have this particular experience to receive the spirit of god but the church i do believe has to be open to the idea paul says that we have received it you see it right there we have received it not wisdom of this world but wisdom from god that, that it's actually already happened. And I would even say here in verse 12 that Paul is including the church in Corinth. Why does Paul have hope for the church in Corinth? Because the church in Corinth is a hot mess. And why is he filled with hope? Because he says, church, you've already received the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is already trying to encourage you and correct you and rebuke you. As a matter of fact, part of the Spirit's work is Paul himself writing this letter to the church in Corinth to correct the church in Corinth. And so there's this idea that the church there um, has already received the Spirit of God and yet needs to be open to what the Spirit of God is doing. We need to be open to that in our lives. We need to have, um, and, and this isn't just true for like church stuff. It's like life stuff. I think we view our lives so like, like siloed. This is church stuff. This is, you know, my private home stuff. This is my public stuff. This is my work stuff. And that's not how that works. God's Spirit says, no, that's all mine. So we receive his spirit in all areas of our life, not just church stuff, that we ought to understand all that we've been given in Christ. The church can receive the spirit of God. The church has received the spirit of God. How do you know? Because you believe the gospel. If it weren't for the spirit of God, you wouldn't believe the gospel to begin with. If I were for the spirit of God, I would have never been saved. I would have never been saved without God's spirit. And yet, we've come to know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ so the Spirit reveals all truth, not received from this world, but from God himself, that we might understand all he has freely given to us. And so he shows us all these things, and we, uh, and we have uh, the, uh, the reception of his Holy Spirit. We could just, you know, stop there, man, right? Like, that's enough to figure out right there. A couple more thoughts here. Paul says this in verse 13. This 
is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. That one sentence is one of the most packed little sentences I've found in Scripture about a truth that Paul's trying to dig down into with the church, with us, in our lives, and what it means. That this is what we speak, and this is how I broke that out, that the Spirit of God, showing how we have in Christ, is how we learn and how we teach and how we talk. That that's the Spirit that rules us. This is what we speak. And he could be saying we as the apostles and we as the disciples, believers in Jesus, but he's talking about the church. This is the language we use. It's not words taught by human wisdom. It's spiritual language. And it doesn't mean that there's a particular language. It's not English or Spanish or French or, or um, uh, Kiswahili or anything else, right? That there's this idea that it's God's words for God's people in God's moment. This is why I'm, I'm always encouraging you, church, to believe your part in God's plan. How do we discern the voice in our head versus the voice of God? How do we do that? Because those words are important to be said when God's saying, I want you to reach out to somebody and connect with them. I want you to, to say this to someone. I want you to encourage someone in this way. Well, we have these words that are not taught by man, but by the, by the Spirit of God. A couple ways I'm going to get practical here for a minute, is we listen for a while to that, right? You can tell, I can tell when I've not been obedient to what God's Spirit has been telling me to do because I feel regret when I don't do that. Or when God reveals something ahead of time and then it comes to pass and I'm like, he said that was, he wanted me to be involved and I didn't. Maybe it's intervening in someone's life. Maybe it's, you know, just making a call or sending a text. Maybe it's inviting someone to come to your house and have a meal with you. Maybe it's stopping when you're having a conversation and you're like, how are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. And you go, wait a minute. How are you? Maybe. Spiritual words, spiritually discerned, and spiritual moments. The... Uh, the sentence is so great because it says, this is what we speak, this is how we talk in the church of Jesus Christ, which we're calling upon his spirit, not in words taught by human wisdom. You see, it doesn't, this doesn't make sense in the world. You go, wait, nah, this is going to be weird. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that thing. This is not the way the world works. Aha, uh -huh. that's the first clue that you might be on the right path. Yeah? In taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. This is just speaking God's truth in the moment. That's what's happening here. Um, saying the things of God in the moments of God. By the way, the, uh, the word there, expressing spiritual truth, uh, it means to synthesize these truths, uh, to connect them to our real life, right? Um, communicating or synchronizing the spiritual with the current moment. And uh, it's to combine or com uh, compare them, to interpret them, to explain them. It's the very real wisdom of God. And I tell you where, man, one of the things that we don't get and we ought to be aware of is that we live our lives in some kind of frenetic chaos often. Maybe you don't. I have a tendency to do that. But there's the reality that God is interpreting our lives through his spirit if we would only stop to listen. And listening to God looks like those quiet moments where you stop and you say, okay, God, what's really going on here? in the middle of a firefight, in the middle of a heated moment, in the middle of whatever, you stop and you say, okay, God, what's really happening with my life? What's this really about? I'll tell you this. To have that conversation, you have to have a real faith in God. You have to have a real faith that God is there and listening and going to tell you something, and you have to be waiting upon him to reveal something and say, I, I don't understand what all this is about. 
See, the earthly tendency is to continue to run around circles and scream, you know, freak out, freak out, freak out. But we're talking to the creator of the universe. And we're talking to the person who knit you together in your mother's womb. We're talking to the person who knows right where you are and right where you're going to be. It's different. It's different. And so this is how we learn. Paul says that this is how we teach, how we speak, but how we are taught. Look at the word. It's not, we were not taught in human wisdom, but in words that were taught by the Spirit of God. This is how we learn ourselves, and then this is, of course, how we teach others. This is probably why it would be wise if Christians would be slower to give answers. If we would just take a minute and go, hmm, and then maybe give an answer. (laughs) Versus, well, that's obvious. Here's what I think. See that? Here's what I think. But we are wrong. We are so often wrong. And the Spirit of God is exactly, being Spirit-led is how we can learn, how we can teach, how we should talk to one another. This is a different spirit. It's a different experience of this life. And this is the primary opportunity we have to rightly interpret our own lives as Christians, as those who believe in Jesus Christ, believing in his death on the cross for my sin, believing in his resurrection from the dead, believing in eternal life, and putting all this other stuff in, in, in uh, proper context, all our other experiences. That's what Paul says. The gift to the church. Man, what a powerful thing. Verse 14, the last point here. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Here he goes again. Because they are foolishness to him, he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You know, I asked earlier, I said, you ever had that person you're talking to and they just can't see all the way that God's blessing them? It's because they're not paying attention to the Spirit of God. One of our opportunities we have as a church is to point those things out. Do you not know? Do you not know? But here's the truth, is that the being spirit-led will be rejected by the world. It'll be rejected by the world. Doing it God's way will always be offensive because it removes us from our seat of authority and it forces us to be in submission to a higher power. It says that there's a God out there who knows and who's in charge. And because of that, it's always rejected by the world. The natural man, the word says here, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are spirit discerned. That's how you know. They'll call them foolishness. They cannot understand. It's our limitation, right? I know I've been saying this to you for a minute, but I think it's important that we understand all of us in the same boat here. We can know nothing of ourselves. Apart from God, we can do nothing, no good work, no worship, no experience of God, no understanding of Scripture, no right living in this life if we're not listening to the very God who made us. And praise the Lord, He has given us His Spirit. You know, maybe you, I I want us to think for a minute, and man, this has been, one of the hardest things about preaching the Word of God is I have to study it all week, and uh, it just eats me up. Because it's like, we have to take an inventory of our lives and say, where, where am I off in my own thoughts? Where am I not applying God's word? Where am I not believing the gospel? So I want to take a minute and ask that question. Think of that area in your life maybe where you need to just to, to lean more into trusting God or 
Who's that person that you think that you want to be saved more than God wants to save? Who's that person that you hope to reach that you think you want reached more than God and His Holy Spirit wants to reach? See, what we should pray for is we'd be obedient in these moments that God gives us to participate with Him. I'm going to ask us to pray together. I'm going to ask you to pray with me where you are and pray in your heart, in your mind, in your own spirit. You would talk to the God, to the Spirit of God. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to come and to experience this really um, wide open, um, mind-bending truth that you would condescend, you would reveal your very internal thoughts to us, your people, that you would teach us and train us by them. Oh, Father, that you would re- rebuke us where we're wrong. You would call us to be humble. You would continue to push us to, to believe the gospel in this life and that you would send us out as sheep among wolves, Father, uh, to proclaim the great and glorious foolishness of the, in the world that is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, would you do work through your Holy Spirit in our lives? Maybe there's part of my life or our own lives here that we have just walked from you we have just pulled back from you and you you've been calling us to come and to believe and to lean in father i I pray that um, we repent of those things and we would just lean back into you lord i believe today there's someone here who just needs to know that you still love them that that there's no place that we can flee from you that is too far from us to turn back to you that you've not abandoned us there but that we're with you Father, for that stuff in our life, and you know it's so hard, but those secret things that we think, well, only I know about that problem that I have. Father, that in that moment, in that place, your Holy Spirit will be bringing a healing to us, a hope to us, and a new conviction, a new responsibility to be obedient to you through the power of your Spirit, that we would learn to know you and love you more. Oh, Lord, help us to repent of our sin and believe the gospel. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have had to explore this little bit of scripture about who you are and who your spirit is and what your spirit is doing in our lives. And Father, we end by saying thank you. Thank you. Thank you that we even have enough sense to pay attention. Uh, Thank you that we have enough sense to even look and listen and wait because that's for your glory and our good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.